One of the greatest things about our country, I believe, has to do with the whole national park system. It's just, it's just extraordinary. And as I think about the national park system, and my favorite parks, I'd have to put places like Big Bend and Arches and Canyonlands and Carlsbad and Death Valley and Glacier and Comp Mine, Yosemite and Sequoia on my list. I bet you have your own list of favorite national parks too. But there's one that I need to add to my list of favorites. Years ago, my wife Virginia and I visited a park I had not been to before, and that's Acadia National Park uh, in Maine. It's, it's just spectacular. The park sits along the rocky Atlantic coastline, but covers a vast amount of, of territory and land with mountains and forests and coastlines. It's just stunning. One morning, we were driving just outside of the park, and we saw this billboard, and it said, Glider Rides. We both immediately said, let's go. So we pulled into a dirt lot next to a runway, and 30 minutes later, the two of us were in a glider with a pilot being pulled down a runway by a prop plane. And soon we were airborne and released from the tether that connected us to this plane that pulled us into the sky. High off the ground, the views of Acadia were astonishing. The experience was amazing. And I remember the quiet within the glider. It was just spectacular. I was having the best time in my life when Regina asked the pilot a question. Can you do any tricks in this glider? <laughs> Before I could protest, we were doing twists and turns and maneuvers I cannot name. And it only got worse from there. Virginia said, can you do more? And he said, sure. So the pilot pointed the nose of the glider skyward and it just drifted as far up as it would go. And then it began to go like this backwards and he did a roll. Well, as we were follow, falling and my stomach went into my throat, I lost my sense of which way was up. Down felt up and up felt down and everything felt upside down. And Regina, for some reason, asked me, why do you look so green, Robert? <laughs> I'm all for adventure, but feeling upside down all turned around is not one of my favorite feelings, like being strapped into an upside down roller coaster. I far prefer being right side up in life. But I've been thinking about this whole right side up experience and thought about the fact that there's another kind of upside down in life that doesn't have anything to do with gliders or roller coasters. It's another kind of upside down for which I'm very grateful. It's a very different upside down that changes the way that we see things, shifts our priorities, affects how we live out our joys, adjusts how we endure tough passages, affects how we see things and perceive things. This other upside down way of being comes from Jesus, because Jesus was and is a master of turning things upside down and all around if we pay attention. And frankly, there are passages in life for all of us, I believe, when we need something turned upside down and all around, times in which the, the status quo isn't working anymore. And when we look at Jesus' life, throughout his life, he, he worked hard to, to, to flip how people saw things, saw things in their culture, saw things in their own lives, saw their emotional experiences, saw their relationships. 
And for a moment, let's just look at some examples of how Jesus turned things upside down and all around, and how he turned things on their head, and why this can lead us to a place of being encouraged and hopeful. Well, a lot of people in our day say that we should go after our enemies, that we should do whatever we can to get them, that forgiveness should not be part of the equation in our lives. But Jesus turns such thinking upside down, doesn't he? When he says, love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. A lot of people think it's fine to judge and criticize and put other people down. Lots of folks think it's just a normal thing to do in America. But Jesus turns his way of thinking upside down. He says, just don't do it. Just do not do it. Do not judge any other human being. Just don't do it. Instead, spend all that energy looking at your own shortcomings. Lots of people say the majority rules that the mainstream is the main thing, but Jesus upends this way of thinking. He says, no, 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 no. Pay most attention to those on the margins, those who are not in the majority, those whose voices are not heard. Seek out those who are lost. Many people in our culture say, do all in life you can to move up the ladder. Seek power, seek control, work your way to the top of the heap. Take what you can, make what you will. Do ever, whatever you will. Jesus turns that way of living upside down, doesn't he? He says the greatest among us are those who serve. The greatest among us are the least. Humility is where it's at, Jesus says. Some people say that when you need to overcome something, buck up and get through it on your own. Some people say it's up to you to make it through. Pull yourself up. Be independent. But for those of us that know that that's not an easy place to be, Jesus upends this and saying, no, 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 no. No, no, don't do it on your own. Turn all your burdens over to me. It's up to me to help you through. You were never meant to carry it alone or to overcome on your own. You're meant to be dependent upon me. If you ask 100 people, if we went out right now into the streets and say, what's the most important thing in life? We'd get 100 different answers, wouldn't we? But Jesus says, as we talk about all the time, that the point, the purpose, the reason we're alive, all that matters is love. The love is what's most important in churches and homes and schools and throughout all layers of government, just to name a few. Jesus says love is what matters. Lots of folks say do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. That's what freedom is about. But Jesus upends this, doesn't he? He turns it all the way around and says, no, 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 make other people your priority. Do to other people what you would have them do to you. And then there's this marvelous story of Jesus turning things upside down from our gospel reading today. In it, we encounter the story of Lazarus, two sisters named Martha and Mary. Their brother Lazarus is ill, so they send for Jesus. And after a bit of a delay, Jesus shows up, but Lazarus is dead and buried. Jesus is moved by the whole situation. And he says to the sisters, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Even though you die, you will live. Believe in me. 
And Jesus then commands Lazarus, who's dead, to come out of the cave, and he does. And while this story is about a lot of things, it shows us who Jesus was and is, that Jesus has power over death, that the raising of Jesus Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus points as a, as a foretelling of Jesus' own resurrection, but the story points to something else. You see, some people around us say that when we die, we're dead, and that's it. Nothing more, nada, blank. But Jesus turns this upside down, doesn't he? He says, hold on there. Death is certainly an ending, but more importantly, it's a new beginning. Jesus and his resurrection turned death on its head. And while it's clear through these examples and many others that Jesus' way of doing things, thinking and acting and living, turn the way a lot of people see and do things in a vastly different direction. And the fact that Jesus can and does turn things upside down can be a source of tremendous encouragement and hope to all of us who may or may not be in a good place. And one place this is highlighted is, in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning, found in what are known as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes simply means happy, although it's often translated blessed. And happy here doesn't mean that that passing feeling that we get when something good happens. Rather, happy here means this joyful, deep, inner, calm, and peaceful confidence. Now, in the Beatitudes, as many of you know, there are eight of them. And in each of them, there's a condition of the heart. There's a way of looking at something. There's a way of being that some people would say is a terrible place to be. Each beatitude describes a heart condition that a lot of people will say, well, that's a bummer. You don't want to stay in that place. And if you're there, get out of it. But Jesus looks at these heart conditions these places where we can be in life as we're living out our faith. And says, hang on a second. Let me help flip the way you might see this experience you're having so you can look at it another way. And in fact, be encouraged and hopeful because you're experiencing that. So let's take a look at certain feelings and conditions of our hearts that Jesus turns upside down and how we might see them. Sometimes our hearts are in a state of poverty. Poor in spirit means to have places in our hearts that are broken or shattered. Poor in spirit means to be in touch with with our mistakes, our failures, our mess-ups, where we've missed the mark in life. Some people would say, well, I'm sorry you're feeling that way. It's such a bummer to be poor in spirit. But Jesus says, hold on a second. Let's turn that way of thinking upside down. Jesus says, when you're poor in spirit, don't run away from it, embrace it. When you embrace that you're poor in spirit, it means that you're making a lot of room for God in your life. You have lots of room to receive the promises of God, the healing of God, the love of God, the grace of God. If you're poor in spirit and your heart is fractured, be encouraged. Blessings will come from that as you turn to me. It is not a bummer, it's an opportunity for a new beginning. 
Jesus next says, happy are those who mourn. And mourning here is the kind of mourning not necessarily over a person, but over the state of the world. Lots of people would say, well, why are you mourning over the state of the world? Everything's fine, isn't it? Mourning for the state of the world is a bad of time, a waste of time. Things are not that bad. Look at the bright side. Be optimistic. Don't worry. Be happy. But Jesus says if you're mourning for the world, you will be blessed because once again you're making room for my heart to live within you because God's heart is mourning over the state of the world too. So you are sharing God's heart when you're mourning over how things are. Be encouraged, receive the hope from God. God will guide you how to respond to the brokenness in the world. God will use you as an agent for change because your heart is open to that. Next, Jesus says, happier the meek. And my hunch is that if we went out into the streets and asked people if having a meek heart was a good thing, most people would say, no. But to those who have a meek heart, Jesus turns how we see meekness upside down. First, Jesus made it clear that meekness does not mean timidity. Rather, it conveys humility, not being better than or seeing oneself as greater than another. Jesus was meek. He was not timid at all. He was meek because he knew where his strength came from. It came from God. To be meek means to work humbly to know that our strength comes from God. And Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth. If your heart is meek, and even though that's a difficult place to be, know that that is where I want your heart to be because you can help me bring in the kingdom of God through your humility. Jesus says, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lots of people say, take care of yourself first and do what is right for whatever that means. But Jesus turns his upside down and says, happy are those who focus on doing the right thing, even when it's a hard thing to do, even when criticism comes from it. So if you're doing the right thing and you're being criticized, take heart. It's exactly what you need to be doing. Happy are those who want to live in a world where integrity is the rule, where there's honesty and virtuousness. And Jesus says, while seeking what is right can be painful and arduous and heartbreaking, Jesus makes it clear that having such a heart is exactly the kind of heart that God is seeking within us. Happier the merciful, Jesus says. And while people certainly talk about mercy, I'm not sure how much mercy is embraced as a cultural norm. Certainly there are glimpses of mercy and acts done in the name of mercy every day, but my hunch is that the word mercy would not come to mind when asked to describe the most important things in our culture. And once again, Jesus takes mercy and flips how we see mercy on its head. Jesus is talking about having a merciful attitude, sympathy, to feel the pain of other people. And Jesus says when we have a merciful heart, we have the heart of God. We're more in touch with the pain of humanity and ourselves. We're more in touch with the healing that can come from God's merciful heart. Have a merciful heart, Jesus says, even though it's difficult and painful. Just a few more here. Jesus says, some have a heart condition known as purity of heart. A pure heart is one that's totally devoted to God. A pure heart is one that knows who one is serving. 
Some would say such a heart is not a good thing. Some would say it's not practical in this day and age. Some would say it's naive. But Jesus turns how to view such a heart condition on its head. Jesus says when our hearts are focused on God, we will feel close to God and in alignment with God. We'll be open to hearing what God has to say to us. We'll be more aware of how God is acting in a variety of ways. Jesus says, be hopeful and encouraged when you're devoted to God. It's a couple of more. Jesus says, happy are the peacemakers. I believe Jesus turns our current cultural view of peacemaking on its head. Today, the ones who get the most attention as leaders, the ones who have the biggest number of followers politically, the ones who grab the headlines and seemingly the greatest social accolades are not peacemakers, they are great dividers. Our culture seems to hold those in the highest esteem that divide the most. But Jesus says to those who instead have a peacemaking heart, take heart, be encouraged, be help, hopeful. Peacemaking is the way to live. Peace is living shalom, harmony with others. Be encouraged if you have a peacemaking heart. And finally, Jesus says, happy are those who are persecuted. Happy are you when pe pe people utter all kinds of words against you because of your relationship with me, Jesus said. You're in the right place if you're ridiculed because of your faith in me, Jesus says. You are blessed if you face ridicule because you mentioned me. Jesus says, be encouraged, be filled with hope. He says, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are persecuted for my sake. So through all of this, Jesus makes it clear that when our hearts are in places that are not necessarily easy and fun, when they reflect positions that are not generally celebrated, Jesus says, take heart, because often our hearts, as described in the Beatitudes, are exactly where they need to be because they reflect God's heart. So when it comes to being poor in spirit, in a place of mourning or hungering for righteousness, when our hearts are breaking because they're filled with mercy or pure or seeking peace, or when we take hits for our faith, Jesus invites us to turn the way that lots of people see those experiences upside down. So here's the bottom line for today. Sometimes we're stuck in life. Sometimes we feel trapped. Sometimes we may feel locked into a way of seeing something or doing something. Sometimes we might devalue the way that we are feeling. Sometimes the ways of the world seem so far away from what we know is right. Sometimes we might feel like we're in cement and can only see the negatives. Sometimes it feels like there is just bad news. But the good news is that Jesus, who we follow, is a master at turning things upside down and all around. You see, Jesus can flip how we see what we are feeling. Jesus can upend ways in which we are habitually thinking or acting. Jesus can turn what our culture says is good upside down in a way that helps us to stay on track as people of faith. Jesus always has another perspective to offer us. So with this in mind, 
I'd like you to think for a moment. What is it today that you need to be flipped upside down and turned around? Are there certain feelings, a relationship, a habitual way of seeing something that's not helping anybody? Feeling drawn into something our culture says is okay, but you know it's really not? A way of acting that's become a norm? Your health? Your relationship with God? Discouragement? Self-criticism? What is it in your life that you need Jesus to turn upside down and all around? So for a few moments, I'd like to invite us into some moments of prayer with our Lord God, thinking about where it is in life that we need God's perspective, God's view, God's way of seeing something that might be ingrained. Let us pray.